American Road Trip Talk begins after this message. You know his vision of America, but do you know his name? One of the most highly respected artists of America's Great Depression era, John Stuart Curry, defined the country's perceptions of the American Midwest. His painting, Tornado Over Kansas, is still one of the most iconic images in U.S. pop culture today. For the first time in a quarter century, Curry's masterworks will be exhibited under one roof. Visit the Muskegon Museum of Art in Michigan this summer to see John Stuart Curry, Weathering the Storm, an exhibition of life, art, and the American Midwest. To learn more, visit muskeganartmuseum.org slash curry. The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Glad to have you along for the ride. Glad to be working alongside Nathan Miller, our producer. This is American Road Trip Talk. We'll be back with the interview right after this. In western Nebraska, Sydney used to be known as the toughest town on the tracks. Today, Sydney is home to family-owned restaurants and vibrant downtown full of unique shops. Plan your trip to Sydney and learn more at visitsydneyne.com. Make this picture perfect in Oregon's Mount Hood territory. Get into history's interactive side on the Heritage Trail. Meet baby animals on farm loops and visit vineyards on the New Wine Trail. Plan your trip today at mounthoodterritory.com. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and Alert Drops will stop it. What is Alert Drops? Alert Drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system, and you're naturally awake, naturally alert. Go to alertjobs.com. Very important. Go to alertjobs.com and stay safe. Are we there yet? That's not a question you'll be hearing while cruising around Nevada. That's because here in the road trip capital of the USA, that old cliche about it being the journey that matters more is actually legit. In Nevada, you can kick back in a crowdless state or national park. Gaze up at some of the nation's darkest, most star-studded skies. Meander among the world's oldest living trees. Have your breath stolen by the crystal clear waters of Lake Tahoe. All along the way, you will find the kinds of iconic, wide-open highways where road trip dreams are made. For insider tips about Nevada road trips and unexpected Silver State destinations, Order your free Nevada magazine and visitor guide today at TravelNevada.com slash travel dash guides. Alternative Talk 1150, the talk of the sound. Welcome back to American Road Trip Talk. On today's episode, they seemed like a great idea at the time. Cars that were produced with big ambitions in mind, but failed to win over the public while others went through various modifications for years until they finally went extinct. Joining us is Carl Petrie of the Garden State Pontiac Club. Carl is a go-to guy for historic perspective on automobiles. Carl Petrie, glad to have you back with us. And I'm glad to be part of the show. Thank you very much, Gary. Delighted. 
Carl, if we're going to talk about the woulda, coulda, shoulda cars, then I think we have to start with the Ford Edsel. Where else would we begin? <laughs> that taught, the, the Ford Edsel taught the entire automobile um, manufacturers throughout the world what not to do. It was the worst mistake uh, any car company can make. Uh, when you think about the Ford Edsel, I know they always talk about the front end and how ugly it was, which it was. We'll go into that later. Uh, but there's another person who's play, who plays a part in this, Robert McNamara. He was with Ford, and he was like the ultimate bean counter. And so everything had to go past him before they came out with this car. So, you know, in the Ford lineup, number one, the top of the hill, you know, the, the peak car was the Continental. Then it was the Lincoln. Then it was Mercury. Then there was Ford. In between Ford and Mercury, that's where the Edsel was supposed to be. And um, so they all put their money together and they came out with this car. Now, here's some of the blunders that they started off with. First of all, they made too big of, an, of a deal of keeping it quiet, letting it build up the hype on this car. This is the greatest car since sliced white bread. This is the wonderful car of the future. Everything you ever wanted in a car is going to be in our car, our new Edsel. And that was a mistake, a very, very big mistake. What happened is that they kept it quiet. They didn't want anybody to see any pictures of it. Even the dealers, when they got their cars, the cars were wrapped in brown paper like a package. And they wouldn't let people see the car because it was going to be a big surprise. Remember, this is the car from the future. And the hype was there. And people were waiting for the time where they could open up that paper and see this wonderful, fantastic car. Well, that was a mistake because you brought up their expectations to think about a car that was going to be out of this world. That was a mistake because when they finally took the wrapping off, people stared at this thing and they said, what? This is the big secret. This was the great car. It was nothing what they expected. And of course, let's go back to the front end of the car. You looked at the front end of the car and it had to look like a horse collar in the front. And what really made it bad was they took the headlights and they didn't put it in the grill. They raised it up to the top of the fenders. So it really looked ugly. So there was the ugly factor. We got this car that does not look like anything great. And then you look at the back of the car and it had these two slit for uh, taillights, which made it even look more ugly. And that was the beginning of Edsel. And by the way, with Ford, this is this car was made by committee. It wasn't like one designer. They all came in there and they all wanted to do their thing. So here they came up with this car. The only problem is they didn't have a name for it. They called it E-Car, but they didn't have a name for it. So they hired all this Madison Avenue advertising companies, whatever, to come up with a name for this car. And the names of the cars were so ridiculous, they couldn't settle on it. Nobody liked it. And it went on and on. Here They're ready to start building a car 
They still did not have a name for it. Finally, somebody said, how about Henry Ford's uh, son, Edsel? And they said, well, that's a good idea. The person who didn't like it was Edsel Ford. He didn't want his name to the car. But they decided, no, 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 your name's going to be on the car. So at the last minute, the name Edsel appeared on the car. So this is the way it started off. And of course, um, the other problems that they had with this car was uh, the car was made on a Ford assembly line. So there'd be a bunch of Fords going through. Then at a certain point, they said, okay, stop the Fords. Here comes the Etzel. Now, the workers there, for some reason, I'm not too keen on how the assembly line worked back then, but they hated it. They hated the fact that they had to stop making these Fords and start making Etzels. And the workers got really, really annoyed at that. So what they used to do is take spare bolts or whatever and throw it in the doors. So that when a person was driving, you would hear click and noises coming out of the doors uh, because they were upset at this. And then it sounds like passive aggressive behavior on the assembly line. <laughs> Absolutely. So here you go. You buy this Edsel and you're driving and you hear this tinkling in the doors. All because the people at the assembly line were really aggravated that you stopped them from making their Fords to making the Edsel. And it just went on worse from there. And uh, they even had, uh, they wanted it to be a futuristic car. So the speedometer was at the top of the, of the dashboard. And it, it was, think of a glass dome. And then the speedometer would spin around in it. All right. Yet yeah, it looked futuristic, but it also looked kind of weird. Now you say, can they do anything worse than that? Yes, they can. Instead of having a um, a gear selector, like every other car in the world, not the Etzel, they came out with something new. And they put the push buttons in the center of the steering wheel. Now, had, you know why is that bad? Well, it's bad when you're going down the highway and people have the reaction to beep the horn because somebody in front of them is going too slow or to get their attention. So they slam the horn, which isn't there, and you find yourself throwing the transmission in reverse, oh. park, neutral. <laughs> so, so driving the Etzel could be a terrifying experience, all because they had to stick the gear selection in the center of the steering wheel. Well, Carl, at least, and I'm setting you up here, at least, you know, they realized their mistake before they lost too much money. Lost, they lost $350 million. And that in today's dollars, that's like $2 billion. That's how much money they lost. I believe it's about $2.4 billion they lost. Exactly. Wow. That's, that's how much money they lost. Now, of course, you have Robert McNamara, the ultimate bean counter. And, you know, to him, this was unacceptable. This is terrible. So what he decided to do was uh, is to they were talking about downsizing the car, making it a smaller car. And by that time, Robert McNamara had the Etzel up, up to his, his ears. He didn't want it anymore. It's like, why throw good money after bad? Now, the uh, 59 and the 60 Etzel, 
they had they moved the headlights from the top of the fenders to the grill, which made it look a whole lot better. But by that time, it's already had a bad reputation and people were not going out to buy it. And if you really want to see something unusual, if on their station wagons, look at the back end of the station wagon. The station wagons had, I think they called the boomerang uh, light lens on it. And they were in reverse. So if you're driving in a station wagon and you hit your left-hand signal, remember, this is a V in the back of the thing. It starts pointing in the wrong direction. So it's blinking to go right, but you're making a left. And vice versa, when you hit it, when you want to turn right, the signal looks like you wanted to go left. Confusing drivers, confusing people behind you. They don't know what to believe on this car. It was just everything about it was a disaster. And so by uh, by 1960, McNamara said, that's it, no more. When they decided to make a smaller Etzel and you know keep the, the same basic shape except bring it down smaller, that was going to what turned out to be was the Mercury Comet. The Mercury Comet would have been the 1961 Etzel. But by that time, McNamara said, no way, let's get rid of this thing. And that was it. And the Etzel was history. There's a lesson in there, and I believe it was written up in one of the automotive periodicals an article that made the point that this is what happens when you attempt to build a car by committee. Right. And, you know, we have other examples of that, even with Pontiac, when they decided to make the Pontiac Aztec. They didn't have a designer. They all got together and they said, okay, this is what we want to build. They never talked to the right people. And they came out with this, uh, this vehicle and it wasn't really an SUV. It wasn't a car. It really was a little mishmash of everything. And it was built by committee. And it was probably one of the last nails that went to the coffin of, of Pontiac. Because it was built by committee. Let me go back to Ford for a moment, Carl. By my count, the Ford Thunderbird, the T-Bird, went through 11 generations. Yes. So uh, when I think about that, you could look at photos of the original T-Birds and then 11 generations later, it seems like they tried to go back. It went retro, but in between, I'm not sure what they were thinking. Well, what happened is that when Thunderbird came out, they thought this was going to be a great sports car and it would take on Chevrolet. Chevrolet came out with their Corvette in 53 and 54 they still had the straight six cylinder, actually it was a truck engine. And, you know, it wasn't super fast. It was a sporty car. And Ford said, okay, in 1955, we're coming out with a car to compete with Chevrolet. And this is going to be great because we can make a better car. Well, it didn't quite work out that well because in 1955, Chevrolet came out with their 265 cubic inch V8. And when they raced the Ford, uh, the, the uh, Corvette blew it right off the track. And so they tried again in 56. In 56, they came out with every trick they could uh, to beat Chevrolet, and they couldn't. And by 57, with the fuel injection with Corvette, Ford said, 
the handwriting was on the wall. We got to get out of this. We can't build a sports car to compete with the Corvette. So in 58, they came out with a, which I think is a beautiful car, but it's very, very big. And people liked it. Actually, they sold more 58 Ford Thunderbirds than 55, 56, 57 combined. You know, so people liked it. But once again, it was just, let's let's change everything. So like I said, mistakes. I still love those taillights on what was it, the 1965 and 66 models. I remember seeing that riding a school bus and there was a Ford Thunderbird with those lights. I call them elliptical taillights. I'm not sure what the official name for that item was. Sequential. And man, I thought that was the coolest thing since James Bond. Well, I believe that the uh, early, you know, uh, Thunderbirds, like the 19, early 1960s, they were gorgeous cars. They look like uh, an airplane without the wings on the road. They had swivel seats that you could just swivel out. And so you didn't have to really fight to get into the car with your legs underneath the steering wheel. You just sit into it, spin around, and you were right in the cockpit. And even the layout of the dashboard was, you know, it wrapped around you, just like it would be like a fighter jet. It was beautiful. And, um, you know, I looked at it and said, boy, even to this day, I'd love to have one of those cars. But my problem is I have no more room to sick cars. <laughs> <laughs> Car collector that you are. Yes. I'd like to talk for a moment about the Studebaker Avanti. It is referred to as a halo car. And for those who might not be aware, a halo car is a flagship car model used to bring prestige to a mark or brand of autos through the halo effect by symbolic association with other car models and the brand itself. Until I prepared for this episode, I never even knew what a halo car was. And that term is applied to the Avanti. That's true. And, you know, the Avanti, it's a love-hate type of thing. Some people love the design of it. Some people hate it. Uh, it was designed by a man by the name of Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And uh, you know, like me, he was a Freemason, by the way. And uh, the design came up within five days. It came up with this design called Avanti. And what I find strange about it is it has no grill. It could be it could pass for an electric car because there are no there's not a grill on it. The air for the, uh, to make this car run down the highway is scooped up from underneath the car into the uh, into the engine cavity, and that's how it gets its air. Uh, I personally think I like the car, and I think it really looks futuristic. It's really really nice. And at one time, when it first came out, it held the land speed record of a production automobile. I know you're going to find that hard to believe, but yes, it did. Uh, with a few modifications, whatever, this car went, I think, 172 miles per hour on the Bonneville wow. Salt Flats. Yep. Bonneville Salt Flats. Yep. Faster than Ferrari. You know, faster than any of the European cars, Mercedes-Benz. It was this Studebaker coming out of, you know, out of uh, Michigan or Indiana, I should say. Uh, and it's it beat everybody. It was the fastest car you could buy. 
And very few people know about that, but it was the fastest car. I look at photos of them, these wonderfully restored Studebaker Avantis, and I wish I could afford one. In my own way, I think they're beautiful. Well, it's it's also a design. It's not. Yes, they, they definitely are beautiful. At least to me, I think they're beautiful. And I think it's it's a little mix between a pure sports car and a regular passenger car. It's a little bit of both. And it has to me it has a lot of class. I really, really like the car. And um, of all people to make it, Studebaker. Uh, it wasn't General Motors. It wasn't Ford. It was Studebaker. And um, they they made this car until the death blow when uh, Studebaker went out of business. Uh, believe it or not, they still made them in South Bend. As I had a shop years ago, and uh, one of these Avantis came in, and we had to paint this car. So we looked at the code on it, and we painted the fender, but it didn't look like the rest of the car. It didn't match. Back then, you were able to pick up a phone, call up South Bend, and talk to the painter of the cars. And the guy wow. who painted the car, we said to him, it's, you know, we gave him a number like, uh, you know, 874. And he goes, oh, that's a brown car. He, know, <laughs> he knew the color of the car. And we said to him, it doesn't match. And he goes, oh, yeah. He says, I understand it doesn't match. Here's what you have to do. And he told us how to modify the the paint so they would, it would match. But we actually talked to the guy who painted it. It was great. Carl, you are bringing the wow factor today. While we have time, I wanted to talk about the make of car, my first ever car, Oldsmobile. Uh, I'm sorry they went out of business. And in talking to you prior to today, we were arranging this show, putting it together. It seems to me that the Oldsmobile was rather a guinea pig at GM. Yes, it was. When General Motors came out with some idea, you know, to make a car better, they didn't want to be so quick as to uh, put it into their catalog. That was their flagship car. And they weren't so quick to put it in there because if it failed, they would say a Cadillac failed. But if you sort it on the Oldsmobile, well, that's different because it's not the Cadillac. And then they corrected it and everything worked out well. So, um, yeah, it, it, all the experimental stuff started off with, you know, with Oldsmobile. And uh, even like uh, they came out with the, with an automatic transmission in uh, 1937. I think they called it the safety trans. And I believe it had a clutch pedal you put down and you sort of like put it into drive. And you don't have to shift it after that. And that was the first thing they came out with. Then they came out with the hydromatic. That's right before World War II. And the hydromatic was a four-speed now, think about it. This We're talking about, you know, the, the very early 1940s, or I think it was maybe 39. They came out with a four-speed automatic, which they call the hydromatic, and which was unheard of. Most of the cars back then had three speeds and some even two speeds. But here we had a car coming out with four. And a hydromatic was a very, very good trans. They used it in World War II on the, uh, on the tanks. They had hydromatic transmissions in them, you know, to drive the tanks around Europe and in uh, uh, in Japan. 
So it was a good trance, but it was it first came about in an Oldsmobile, not Cadillac. I can see where they didn't want to risk the flagship brand. Right, exactly. And, you know, like it's like anything else, uh, which is so sad. It's like people loved Oldsmobiles and they were the rocket car. They latched on to, you know, after especially after World War II, you know, rockets were becoming the thing. You know, we started experimenting with rockets and, you know, all the movies were coming out and they had these science fiction movies or rockets and they just jumped right on it. You know, Rocket 88, you know, their engines were called, you know, 88s or rocket, rocket engines. And uh, it was, I think it was fantastic. Even the wheel covers had little rockets on them. And so, uh, yeah, I have a, a very fond memories of, of Oldsmobile and... Of course, like anything else, bad management took its toll on it, and it just uh, it, it just fell apart. You know, the thing is that people get greedy, and uh, uh, General Motors they wanted to see. You know, their bean counter said, "Why can't we just use other GM parts? Why do we have a special engine for Oldsmobile? Why can't we use Chevrolet engines in them?" Even with Pontiac at the end. They were Chevrolet engines stuck in Pontiacs. And uh, it was very sad. And people say, I'm buying an Oldsmobile. I want an Oldsmobile. I don't want a car that's half Chevrolet and half Buick or whatever. I want a Oldsmobile. And because of that, yeah, because of that, you know, it just, it went down, downhill. And when you think about it, it's just, it's sad, but that's, that's the way it is. That's why Pontiac's not here. That's why Oldsmobile's not here. All because bad management. Well, Carl Petrie, I always get an education every time you come on air with us. Thank you once again for joining us on American Road Trip Talk. Uh, I love being here. It's great. Thank you, Carl. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue. Until next time, dream well and drive safely on the American road. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure.